eyes It's your body Everybody has got a body like you Alright, welcome, this is Ed Parenting Radio Hello Hello um, Obviously we're starting the show off with one of my favorite George Michael songs and Is it I, really? Well, I don't think I only have one song I like by him Really? Where have you been? Well, he's just not my genre. He's he's not depressing enough for me. That's right. He's no Pink Floyd, no Doors. He's, yeah, he's not uh, reciting enough poetry for you. So for those of you who don't know, this is a song called Faith, which is apropos to what we teach. Because you got to have faith. By George Michael, who we just found out yesterday passed away, and we don't know why, nor mm-hmm. does it really matter. This... Just said that he passed away peacefully in his home, and I'm sure that will come out, but the most important thing, I think a day after as we're thinking about it is to just focus on the fact that he made a huge impact on a lot of people and that his music, again, very similar to Prince, um, is a huge soundtrack of my life, mm-hmm. um, especially high school and uh, college. Um, and I did like Wham, but it wasn't really Wham that was the huge thing for me. It was George the Michael album. Solo? Yeah. Father Figure? Oh, yeah. What else was on there other than those two? Well, I Want Your Sex was on there. Oh, yeah. Monkey was on there. What's How's Monkey Go? Oh, Monkey's a great song. Can you pull it up? Sure. I'd be happy to. Yeah. So basically, it was one of those albums that everybody knew every song and everybody had it. You know, it was in the heyday of like full album enjoyment. Um, and he was an innovator. So I just, I was sad. Were you? Yes. I'm going to fast forward to the middle, okay? No, you can just start here. He starts out. I remember this because I'm looking at the video right now and he's got the black suspenders going on with that hat. Can't you do it? So what's the metaphor here? What's the monkey? Is this life? Well, I think any kind of monkey on your back, it could be addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, the the thing that you drag around with you. I'm sure if we were to read about it, um, there was a specific mind, reason. Right. Or, you know, I think he did struggle with addiction, didn't he? I don't know. George Michael had some very interesting dips in his life. Peaks and valleys. Peaks and valleys, yeah. He, like every person. Yeah. Um, but he had to do his through the public eye, of in front course. Of everybody. Um, so I would just like to say... As somebody who is 45, who grew up with George Michael's music, I was in deep appreciation of it, and I will forever enjoy um, his songs when they come on the radio or on my my uh, playlists on iTunes. That's right. And I was sad to hear, and to his family or people who knew him, um, I'm sending good thoughts. All right. Well, thank you for the memories and your talent that you shared with the world, yes. George Michael. Yes, yes. So on today's show, first of all, what's Zen Parenting Radio? Zen Parenting Radio is a podcast where you'll feel outstanding, but I'm going to instead use kind of a weaker word today because it goes into what we're talking about today, which is feeling good. Weak and it's, words. And it's specific to a few clips. We're going to be clip heavy on the show, so you're going to have to bear with me, but they're very powerful. Are they longer than a minute? Um, about a minute. Okay. One is from one of my, two of my favorite, you know, people I... I learned from Tony Robbins, who's still with us, and Wayne Dyer, who's not. You know what? I don't think good is a weak word. Oh, you don't? No. You want to know why? Why? Because it kind of reminds me of contentment. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, sometimes we're like, great, it has to be great, and, you know, or outstanding. And even though you and I like to say that, just because I think when you go from maybe feeling lower and then you start to feel better, you're like, wow, this is outstanding. Like it can be used more as like a, the dramatic shift. Yeah. But I think the word good, when I'm feeling good, that's a pretty great place to be. Yeah. Don't you I'll think? I'll take good over bad, but sometimes bad's not so bad anyways. Well, sometimes from bad comes good. And sometimes sometimes you don't know what good is unless you know what bad is. Correct. And you know what? That's the paradox of life. What's the opposite of outstanding? Like good, bad, outstanding, blank. Not outstanding. Ooh, you Deep. really reached for I that know. one. Well I know. done. I'm very thoughtful today. So this is podcast number 352. And always remember our motto is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, I'm going to play a few clips. It's going to help you feel good. Um, we're also going to have a little debate that you and I got into, a respectful debate, but a debate nonetheless regarding mm-hmm. a book that you got for our daughters. Correct. 
And then you wanted to share a few things. Do you want to just tease to, what I can that do it. Is? Well, I just thought before we ended today, I'll do this closer to the end of the podcast, but I wanted to talk about a little bit about 2017 because this show will be on, this will, show will air on December 27th. So the next time we come back, it will already be January 3rd. Yeah. Um, it'll be a week later. So I wanted to share some thoughts about going into the new year. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we have a few really good shows coming up in January for our Friday show. We do. Anne-Marie Churisco. Mm-hmm. You Teresa. have to say it with the Italian accent, I know. Though. She corrected me on that. But we just did the interview, and she's amazing, and yeah. she's awesome. And what she's a great talk. And she's one of our sponsors of our Zen Parenting Conference. Mm-hmm. And as long as we're talking about the conference, we have a few thank yous. We do this thing called Zen Friends. So regardless of whether or not you're going to the conference, we are giving people an opportunity to uh, help uh, with a scholarship fund to allow moms and dads who can't afford to go to the conference itself. And we've got three new Zen Friends. Uh, Jean Kett, Patricia Haralampoudis, mm-hmm. and Sarah Both. They all were kind enough to um, support the scholarship fund for the conference. So thanks to the three of you for being a Zen friend. And your name will get in the program of the conference, right? It will. Your name will be in the program. And you'll also get, a, if you are at the conference, you'll get a little thing on your tag that says Zen friend. That's right. Um, that's invaluable. It is. Well, and you know, it's not about like screaming it to the rest of the world, but we would like to acknowledge, to acknowledge you in yeah. that way. Um, also, I think it was Sarah. She actually donated on Christmas Day. Yeah. And for some reason, I was like, I got an email. Mm-hmm. I was kind of, we were kind of away from our phones and stuff, but I got an email that she had donated on Christmas Day. Yeah. And I thought, what a, I mean, all of these people who have donated in December, December is tough. Yeah. And the fact that you would say, hey, this is something I want to give to, thank you. Very yeah, kind. Very, very much so. And then uh, if you are planning to register for the conference, we do have a coupon code that expires in December. The coupon code is DEC for December, and it gets you. Uh, 25 bucks off the conference It, it expires at the end of December. Right, December 31st. Mm-hmm. After that, it goes away. Mm-hmm. And then we have that uh, bring your son or daughter 12 or up to the conference for only 50 bucks. So for those of you who are on the fence about that, we have a lot of teenagers coming now. Yeah. So, I mean, when I say a lot, nothing in comparison to the amount of adults, but if you're like, oh, I'm not, you know, my teen may not fit in, there will be other teens there. This has been a very, um, I think, effective um, promotion and not just effective and that more people are coming, but it's kind of open Todd and I up to recognize how the message of this show and the message that these speakers, Rob Bell, uh, Rosalind Wiseman, and Ali Smith are sharing is relevant to every age. Mm-hmm. And really when they're talking about education and when they're talking about love and when they're talking about leadership and how we take care of each other, how is that not relevant to every age group? And I just want to say this on the show, I posted this on Facebook, but uh, Todd and I were in communication with Ali last week. He is the guy who uh, runs the Holistic Life Foundation. He's the executive director. They're the ones who brought meditation into the Baltimore schools. So for those of you who saw those viral uh, videos of, you know, meditation instead of detention, that's Ali. Mm-hmm. And he, what did he say? He wanted to come in on Thursday? Yeah, he wanted to come in early and stay late. And one thing that you and I love about the conference is when people are kind of invested in the conference. And, you know, there's some there's sometimes speakers of conferences that just kind of show up for a paycheck and Ali is the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. He wanted to show up. He's like, no, if, I, if I'm going, I want to like meet the people and hear what you guys have to say and hear what the other speakers have to say. And it just made us feel really awesome. It made us feel good, but made me excited for you guys mm-hmm. because you get to, you know, that like Todd said, sometimes not just our conference, but other ones, you know, the speakers come and maybe you get to wait in line and get a book signed, but you don't get to talk to them. Yeah. Um, and this is an opportunity where you can run into Ali in the hallway and just say thanks for what he does or ask him a question. And, you know, I know Rob's like that too. Yeah. He does. I know he does long lines of people who want to talk to him and Rosalind's people have been amazing. So I I feel good about everybody. All three of them. But Ali was kind of the the X factor because we hadn't had a whole lot of one-on-one communication. So anyways. Um, And then uh, we just signed up a new uh, sponsor for the uh, event, uh, Edward Jones Financial Planning. It's my friend David Serrano, who has been our financial advisor for the last few years. And I cannot say enough good things about him. So David is going to have a booth at the conference. And I said, listen, dude, you're going to be kind of a little different because there's going to be like chiropractors and holistic and mindfulness. And then you get this investing guy, but that's important. Well, it's important because it's a part of life. And the the reason that Todd really was like, David, you got to do this is because he's a good man and he's very smart and he's very conscious about 
what families are doing. And he, you know, I just today David was over because he and Todd were working on something. And he's really good about saying, you've got to think about you. You've got to think about what's best for your kids. You have to think about things early. I mean, all financial investors say that. But let me just say, he comes at everything with a heart, yes. which is the most important thing to Todd and I, because money is a piece of life. Yep. So even if we want to say, oh, that doesn't matter to me, we can't survive unless we're thoughtful um, about our money. And uh, so he's going to be at the conference. So if you're coming, you can meet him. And uh, I'll give his email address out just because if you're interested in getting a financial uh, planner, he's actually a fiduciary. Uh, it's david.serrano at edwardjones.com. So, and if you're interested, you could email me and I'll give you the link to his email address. So, right. um, do you want to start with Tony Robbins or Wayne Dyer? You, it's Wayne dealer's Dyer. choice. So let's start with Wayne. I came across this and I'm going to play the clip and then we're going to have a chat about it. Okay. All right. And I think it's about a minute or so. So this is Wayne Dyer talking about being happy and feeling good. Okay. Now, you might say to yourself, yeah, it's easy to say I want to feel good, but uh, how can I feel good when so much around me is bad? How can I feel good if my sister-in-law is, has cancer? And how can I feel good if I know that over on the other side of this planet there are people who are starving to death? And how can I feel good if there are people who are poor and I have money, and there are people who are starving, and how can I feel good when my children act in the way that they act? Or how can I feel good? And I suggest to you that when you say, I want to feel good, what you're saying is, I want to feel God. I want to feel this. I want to connect here. And I want to offer this to you as a very important and powerful piece of advice that came to me years ago. You cannot get sick enough to heal one person on this planet. And you cannot get poor enough to make one person wealthy on this planet. And you cannot get confused enough to unconfuse one person on this planet. No amount of your feeling bad, when you say feeling bad, what you do is you lose your connection to source. And when you lose your connection to source, what happens is you create something called resistance. I can't do this. It's not possible. I, I don't deserve it. This is it's just not something that I can do. I and on and on and on. Yeah. So I, I listened to that clip. You know, we've seen him a bunch of times too. And I just thought that that one idea was very profound because I think a lot of us are hardwired to think that if I'm happy when there's somebody on the other side of the block or the other side of the house or the other side of the world that is miserable, I must also be miserable just to connect with them. And what he is saying and what we have been teaching on this podcast for years and years and years is that you need to stay above that level in order to pull the people up. Mm -hmm. And we have, we're hardwired to think that the only way to connect is to share the misery and that's not what we're about. Well, and you know that what is share the misery? This is where empathy and compassion comes in because I, as I've mentioned on the show before, I used to struggle as just a person, but as a social worker um, with helping people because a lot of times I really thought I had to go to the depth of their misery to understand them. And fortunately or unfortunately, I can do that, meaning I can be with someone and feel what they're feeling. And so I can like dive into that deep place with them. And what I found is when I did that, I wasn't able to help them at all. I basically went into that shadowy part and stayed there with them, and maybe I could cry with them. But then, as Todd said, I had no power to help them see a different way. And one thing that I have realized, specifically I think this got driven home as a parent, is if I go into those really difficult places with my kids, then I can't be a ladder for them to climb out of it. And when I say – but this is – we got to define what empathy means. Empathy means I understand, relate, maybe have experienced something similar to what you have felt, so I get it. I get, and that's it. I hear you and I get it. Empathy is not, I will go down there with you and just sit there and, and, and feel all that pain with you. The best way to explain this is I'm making this up, okay. but our kid comes home and said, all the kids aren't being nice to Correct. me or a 
another girl hurt my feelings. Correct. One thing that we kind of feel is the default mode of many people's parents' reaction is they get invested in, first of all, our own baggage of when we were in sixth grade comes up. That's the first thing. That's the first thing. That's the self-awareness piece. And well, when I was in sixth grade, this happened to me and this is how I solved it and blah, 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 blah. And then, but a lot of times, and forgive me because this is going to come off bad, but like, let's just say a mom and a sixth grade daughter um, are sharing this and the mom kind of comes down to that level and all of a sudden is as invested of the girl's experience as the girl is, mm-hmm. whether or not people are being nice to her or whatever. And all of a sudden the the mom will lower down to that sixth grade mentality. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And you, you started by saying this is going to sound Well, bad. I didn't want to be a male, female mom. Oh, no. Well, because it happens with the boys yeah. too, for sure, because that's where a lot of things come in where it's like you got to fight back, and, yeah. you know? You know? And what Todd is saying is that we, and when he's saying lower, it's not that our children are at a lower level than us necessarily. It's that we take our own wisdom and our own maturity and our own, you know, experiences that we've had and we like go down to that mentality of sixth grade and maybe try and retaliate or try and fight that battle at a sixth grade level. And what we have to remember is that, first of all, this is not our life. Mm -hmm. What we're supposed to be for our children is a support system and the wisdom or the strength that they can go to, not the person who will like dive down there with them. Yeah, like a soldier. This is not when you soldier up and like, let's fight this together. This is when you're the queen or the king. You can soldier, meaning you can't, and again, I'm going to, I want to talk about the word fight. I don't like it. Um, We can do this together, but I will remain my age and my wisdom and have enough space between you and I that I can actually help you. Because if I go to where you are, there's no, we have no ladder. Well, and and it's funny, we're saying the same things with two, with two different sets of language. Like I'm big into the archetypes right now just because I talked about it mm-hmm. with my tribe meeting. But the soldiers, like the warrior, like the, the, the father, the mom will go down and say, let's fight this together. And let's, when actually our kid, they're the warrior. They're the one that's going to do the processing. Mm-hmm. What they need from us is wisdom mm-hmm. and experience. And strength. And strength and calmness. And faith. Yes. Like I trust, you know, like when my children are are struggling with something, even if it, you know, and I want to back up a little beep, 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 because I want to say to the parents who are like, but it does upset me. Well, of course it does. Like it doesn't mean you don't have an emotional response to it. It doesn't mean that inside it doesn't make you uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that it doesn't make you sad when your child comes home sad about something. Of course, that's called being human. But once you have that emotional experience, the self-awareness piece is who am I going to be in this situation? So am I going to be the person who, you know, is basically falling apart too, Mm -hmm. where I can't do anything about this? Or am I going to be the person that maybe has had this experience, but knows that it can get better, knows that there are things that can be done, even if it's just to be peaceful? Well, and maybe some of that sadness, let's just say that, um, that it's a, you know, two parent family. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say, because a lot of times the dads or the moms get really kind of emotionally tied in mm-hmm. and the kids all of a sudden have another layer of pressure upon them because mm-hmm. now whatever they came home with is now upsetting mom and dad. So what I was going to yes. say is instead of expressing, you know, we're always about feel your feelings and express them when they show up. Maybe this is one of those times where you say, oh my God, honey, I'm so sorry that happened and we'll work together. We'll, we'll figure a way out to help you through this. But the emotional expression, maybe you save that for your partner. Well, and again, I'm talking about what's happening happening inside. Right. I'm not talking about what the external... But I think a lot of parents might do that, don't you think? Right. Well, and again, this is where it gets really PC, yeah. where we have to be like, okay, there's so
um, a an adult can have a feeling and be uncomfortable and and not enjoy what they're experiencing, but they can breathe through it and maybe, like you said, at another time, have a great release when they're in a safe space or on their own or with someone they love, or allow it to, to allow themselves to look at it and say, you know what, this isn't even real anyway. Mm. I'm having fear about something that happened to me in sixth grade when really this isn't, you know, again, all, this is like I said, this is where it gets PC, where every story is different yeah. depending on who we're talking to. Um, you know your own story. So as you're listening to us, you know which area you really want to focus on. But I really want to reiterate what Todd just said, because it's the most important, I think, is if we start to think that we need to go down into the dumps with our children's emotional fluctuations, our children will stop coming and coming to us yes. because they're, they don't want to handle you. Right. They're like, oh my gosh, I came home to have somebody like say, support me. You're going to be all right. Empathize. We're going to get through this. And in, if this, if ABC doesn't work, we're going to do DEF. Like that's what I'm always looking for from somebody, not someone to lie to me and say it's no big deal and not someone to like fall apart with me yeah. and feel pity for it's me. A balance. I want somebody who's like, yep, this is tough, yep. but I'll tell you what. Yeah. We're going to do this together mm -hmm. and I'm going to stand by you. Even if it dips again, mm -hmm. I will be with you. And that's what I'm always looking for. Yeah. Um, and so I know, you know, the last thing our children want is pity. And the last thing our children want is to upset their parent. Yeah. So I think that's a really important point. Okay. You ready for uh, my guy, Tony? Let's hear it. All right. This is Tony Robbins, one minute and 10 seconds. And he's talking about feeling good. Okay. Here's the belief I'd like you to try on. I don't need an excuse to feel good. What if I don't need an excuse to feel good? I can just feel good for no good reason. How many like this idea? Say I. Now notice, notice when I first said it, you guys are kind of quiet processing it. Like, I don't need a reason to feel good? Well, how do I know to feel good? Some people say that sounds really naive. Really, most people don't need a reason to feel bad. How's it going? feel like crap. How come? Woke up. And people go, I understand. I understand. What if you went to somebody and said, how's it going? They go, I feel so great. How come? I don't know. I just feel good. You go, take that guy to the psychiatrist. Right? They're, they're manic. They're crazy. But somebody else who's depressed and angry and frustrated, you think that's totally normal. That's the cultural hypnosis that we've all been in, no matter what country we live in. People come to me all the time. Cultural hypnosis. Mm, isn't that the truth? And I love that he says that it's whatever country. Yeah. I love that it's not just specific to where we live because, you know, there is that sense, that norm of being in a bad space and that everybody around us relates to it. And Todd, told, I didn't hear the clip, but he told me about this the other day. So we got we got into a discussion about it, and where I really go with it is that human piece of wanting to belong, mm -hmm. and that when I was very very little, um, from what I heard and what I believe, because I know it in my gut, is I was kind of bouncing around and in a good mood most of the time. Shame on you. I know, and um, and I know that when I would go out in the world, there would be some annoyance about this, like. Almost as if like, oh my God, calm down. You mm. know, it's kind of like that funny thing we talk about, you know, when our, when our kids are like in a bad mood, we can't stand it. And then they're in a good mood and we're like, sit down. Yeah. You know, like there's just never an emotion that's yeah. acceptable. Um, but I learned and I, it's not, it was not one thing. It was like paper cuts, you know, yeah. where you learn along the way, if it be from teachers or other friends or, you know, that you know, your upbeat mood is a little annoying and you kind of don't belong here with us. Why is it annoying to those people? Because either they don't understand it or they're not feeling it. I think it's because misery loves company. Misery loves company. And and there is, instead of an asking of, and, and you know, that's the thing about a kid is if you say, why do you feel this way? They don't have a reason. No. They just do. And and that is their natural state. And so that with all of, all of our, our that's what I was going to say is because we were born that way, that is our natural state. Now, at the same time, Todd, uh, 
we had this discussion on the show before, and we also talked with Anne Marie about this, and she's going to be on the show in a week or two talking about mindfulness and everything with us. Um, but we talked about the difference between above the line and below the line, and living above the line is is looking at things with a love perspective, and living below the line is when you're in fear and then you're reacting from fear. Mm-hmm. And we do have a natural biological tendency to go below the line first. Yeah, that our natural way of being may be. Um, um, completely, uh, you know, upbeat and just loving life for no reason. But when something happens or we're confused about something, we, our biological tendency, and again, I'm saying, I should say more, our neurological tendency is to go below the line. Right. And the way I would explain that is we're hardwired towards survival. Correct. Or worry. Or fear. Or fear. And because fear is not a bad thing. Yeah. Thousands of years ago, fear helped us not to get chased. When the lion chased us, we ran as fast as we can. And we have these very natural fear instincts, which is, this is a whole other conversation, but where we know when something feels unsafe, like we're, you know, the whole idea of not getting into an elevator because the person in there is like, you're just not sure why. And that's very different between like just being stuck in your head and being like, well, this person looks this way. So I'm not going to, it's like a, it's like there's a gut instinct because the person may be um, very kind and outwardly very nice, but there's something going on in you. And so we have this like, this this understanding of that fear can be super helpful to keep us safe but fear can also just be a very primitive uh you know reptilian brain reaction and i've asked you this a bunch of times how do you differentiate between the healthy fear and the not healthy fear well it's situational and that's the practice there's no like textbook thing where i can say here's the good here's the bad it's based in every situation I think you can get closer to understanding, and again, maybe the labels are tough, what's good, what's bad. You know, fear is fear. What do we do with it is the question. When I am in a situation where, um, I'll just use it because I said it already, like where I'm getting on an elevator and maybe I'm by myself and there's just something that doesn't feel right. And I'm like, you know, or I'm walking into a parking garage and I feel like somebody is around. And someone can say, no, you know, you're being crazy, but I feel it. Uh, you know, the the idea of I don't want to upset anybody or I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable or I don't want to anger anybody so I'm just going to walk through this fear is probably not a smart thing to do. It's very easy to have somebody walk me to my car mm-hmm. or to find another way just to trust that fear. If you are given the opportunity to take on a task that you've been really excited to do, maybe a new job or you're going to write a book or you know, you're going to teach a class or give a presentation and then fear comes in. It's a different kind of fear. It's that fear of failure. It's that fear of um, what if I fail? What if I make a fool out of myself? And that's kind of the fear that you want to look at and walk right. through. The two fears you described, one I w- the first one I would say is the fear of survival. Correct. The second one is the fear of failure. Correct. Or being seen. And I guess that's another form of failure. What if I screw up this work presentation? It's easier to let somebody else do it and keep my light dim just in case. So it just kind of depends on where, uh, you know, what, like, what's the cost? Like if you feel uneasy about getting into an elevator, you're in a parking garage, then yeah, trust your intuition and do things to protect yourself. But if it is something professional or whatever, parenting, and the cost is, oh, maybe your kid will get a little upset or maybe another mom will get a little upset, but you still feel like it's the right thing to do, do it and, you know, learn from it. If it happens to be the wrong decision, what I've learned, if nothing else, in the last few months as I kind of continue to fill my brain with certain messages, it's just jump in, just take the plunge and be okay. We, You and I have had so many different things that we have came up with and has completely failed. Oh, yeah. And I used to feel bad about those things like, you know, certain programs that we've done or certain, you know, screening we did, whatever it is. We're trying things all the time. And the, the different thing that I now have about me is that when the failure happens, because it's going to, and it's going to continue to happen, I hope... Uh, is I'm not going to look back and be like, I shouldn't have done that. Right. Now I'm like, you know what? I did do it. I'm gonna, every successful person that is out there, 
and you know depending on what you call successful for you know we'll just say somebody is content with what they're choosing to do that's what i call successful well and those same people have failed over and over and then they figure out how to learn from it whether it's parenting or professional or anything else so anyways well and i think it all depends on why you're doing it if you're making choices and doing things because you think other people will be happy about it and then you fail it totally sucks but if you're like ooh this sounds really interesting and exciting um i'm going to do this and then it doesn't work out the way you thought it would it was wasn't a waste to begin with because you were excited about doing it and maybe the outcome didn't hit the way you thought it would, but maybe it did affect people and you're not even aware of how it did. Yeah. Like, you know, it's that Elizabeth Gilbert always does this funny thing where she talks about how imagination and creativity will say to you, hey, you know, wake you up and say, hey, want to do this? Mm-hmm. Want to do this? And if you're willing and you'll jump on for the ride, it'll take you for a ride. And sometimes you, you sail and it becomes this huge thing. And sometimes it leaves you flat on the ground with your face down, scared to death, and it will leave you. And then the next day it'll say, hey, want to do that again? Mm -hmm. Like your creativity and imagination and your ability to take risks are essential for your survival. And sometimes you fly and sometimes you end up on the ground. But the creativity wasn't a waste of time. It was taking that opportunity to try something new. And like Todd said, I'm very... I'm, even though I, it's not that I like it when things don't work out, I usually if we're trying something new, it's because I'm excited about something that I think yeah, is there's exciting. there's a creative element. Yeah. There's a creative element. And sometimes what I think is exciting is totally resonates and sometimes it doesn't. But that didn't mean it wasn't exciting to me. You right. know, it doesn't mean, okay, now I'm wrong. It means I still liked it. It just didn't resonate. I wanted to mention um, about two different kinds of fear. Uh, Tara Moore in her book Playing Big and also in her blog talks about two different kinds of fear. We've actually talked about this on the show, one called Pashad. And again, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing it completely correct. It's P-A-C-H-A-D. It's projected or imagined fear. Um, So basically is what we might think of it. That's like an overreaction or being irrational or your lizard brain fear, kind of that fear of horrible rejection um, that can destroy us or that we will like, you know, simply combust if we step out of our comfort zone, which I feel that way sometimes. Like I'm like, I lit- I've actually said to Todd, and this is, you know, I've worked and I'm working through this in my own therapy, but you know, it's that fear of like literally dying mm-hmm. if you do something. And it's like, it's, it's irrational, but it can be very, it can be teaching. It can be, you start to understand your brain better. You start to understand your reactions better. Um, but then there's another kind of fear called Yura. And this is the different fear that we're talking about, which is the fear that overcomes us when we find ourselves with more energy that we, than we're used to. So we're like inhabiting a larger space than we're used to inhabiting. And so we're kind of like on that sacred ground, like where sometimes when I have a, an overwhelming thought, I'm like, oh my God, this is so amazing. This is so huge. And we've all had this. And I don't care if it's in your line of work or with your children or when you're Relationship. like relationships or you're sewing a quilt and you're like, oh my God, this idea is so huge. But it's so huge sometimes that we become paralyzed mm-hmm. because we're like, I don't know how to inhabit this space. I don't know how to take this on because it feels bigger than me. It is. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't take it on yeah. because that's the only way that things keep going and continue. And it isn't big. Let me take that back. It isn't bigger than you. It is coming from a bigger place through you. Zenparentingradio.com slash 146-2. I don't know why I put dash two on there, but the the title of the podcast was called Be Afraid, Be Very Afraid or Not in parentheses. And we talked a lot about that. So if the fear discussion interests you, go back to, or just Google, be afraid, be very afraid, Zen Parenting Radio, and you can find it. But any, or go to our website and there's a magnifying glass on the right-hand side of the page and just type in uh, fear or Pashad, P-A-C-H-A-D, and it'll come up. Or Tara Moore too. Or Tara Moore. Um, And and again, because those are two different kinds of fear that both of them, you know, one of them being irrational, one of them being about having a larger energy, the other one that you were asking about is what is fear that's helpful? And I think that's very present time, is that usually if we have a fear that's that's a running tape in our head, that's not really honest. Mm-hmm. That's the running tape that we, that's a belief system. Right. But if you are in the moment 
somewhere and you feel this need to like, ooh, I shouldn't go down there or, oh, I shouldn't make that choice right now. It's not the right time. That kind of fear in present time, that to me is more instinct and intuition. But when you're like, well, my instinct is telling me and my instinct has been telling me for years, I'm like, no, that's in your brain. Because if you've been, you know, mulling through this in your brain, that's called belief system. And you're not allowing yourself to be in present time with this. So again, like we were saying before, this is all very difficult to parse through because mm-hmm. there's many different layers and levels. But I think we started by talking about that your clip from Tony, why don't we just feel good? Yeah. Why, why are why we, do we so need uncomfortable a reason? with why, feeling good? Yeah, why do we need a reason to feel good? Because. Yeah, and I'm not asking you. It's just I'm asking all of us. Like, right, me too. Why is it? So anyways... Um, uh, I want to talk about our partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, Dr. Kelly, chirotree.com. Uh, she helps Kathy and myself and our three daughters twice a month. So look her up at chirotree.com. And then Dr. John J. Kelly Dentistry, um, comprehensive dentistry for you and your whole family. And that is uh, chicagodentistonline.com. So thank you, John and Dr. Kelly. So um, let's talk about our- the book? debate. Okay. So this is really good because um, I'm so excited to be able to share this book with you guys. And it's got, it kind of has a fun story to it is that uh, about a week or two ago, I was coming home uh, from a friend's house and she, my, it's my friend Manisha and she had- Monisha? Monisha. Um, People have a hard time saying her name, but it's Manisha. Um, So- I was coming home and she she handed me a, a package for the girls. She said, I'm giving this to you here, unwrap it at home because I bought it for my girls and I don't want them to see it. I didn't think a thing of it, brought it home, set it on the table with all the, uh, you know, other packages. And then that morning, my friend Carrie, who is a big fan of this show, um, uh, Carrie Kelleher. Oh yeah, super fan number 99. Yes. She posted something on her page that said, you've got to get this book. You know, this is so amazing. And I Googled it and looked at it. I'm like, this is like the best thing ever. And the book is called Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. 10, or excuse me, not 10, not 10, everybody, 100. And I'm just bear with me for a second because I'm pulling up the rest of the title. But while I'm pulling up the rest of the title, I posted on my women's circle page and I said, you guys, you know, a friend of mine just told me about this book. I'm so excited about it. I'm going to, I just ordered a bunch of copies. And then Manisha posted underneath, like, do you know you own this book? This is what I gave you yesterday when you left. And I was like, oh my God. So I had the girls open it and that is what she gave me. So the store or the book is Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls, A Hundred Tales to Dream Big. And what this book is, is a hundred stories about different women who have historical significance. And that's really the only way I can say it because some of them have been, you know, you know, entrepreneurs, some of them have been warriors, some of them have been um, famous for their art, some of them have been politicians, some of, and this is why this book was is so phenomenal because I know some of the people in this book, but so many of them I had never heard of. And it makes me shake my head and go, why don't I know these names? Especially, I wouldn't say that I, I didn't major in gender studies or anything, but I'm definitely a gender study, um, you know, curious person. Yeah. Like I'm always curious. And the curious. fact that all these women's stories have slipped through, not slipped through, deliberately been hidden from you or just have it have no place they have no platform to be you know it's not like someone said i'm gonna i'm gonna really hide this from you and not show you but no one gave it an opportunity to be heard and seen and for and this book i will have to tell you guys that this was the most funded crowdsourced um how do i say this uh this was a kickstarter campaign to start this book and it raised the most money out of any other book that has ever ever been on Kickstarter. Crazy. So in from all over the world. Yeah. And and the book is beautiful. Like the artwork is beautiful and the stories are perfect because each one is just one page. Yeah. Yet they did this wonderful writing where they consolidated all this information. Which is really hard to do to sum up a woman's life rebellious story that made history into a single yes, page. But they a did it. Page. Yeah, it's beautiful. And the amount of different people, you know, like so anyway. So the story, that's how the story starts. And I was saying to Todd, 
I mean, he's been hearing me talk about this book for a week because my youngest daughter and I read it every night. Like she picks three people. And we What's read, the name of the book again? It's called Rebel Girl, or it's called Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls, A Hundred Tales to Dream Big. And we might buy a bunch at the conference and sell them. I think we'll we see. might. So that's where the story begins. Yes. And I looked at it, I'm like, this is really awesome. Uh, they be Because of the structure of the book and everything, I said they should have the same thing for boys which I still believe in. But at the same time, Kathy had a reaction. What was your reaction when I said that? I said, that is every other history book. Right. Like basically it, it was, I had a very, I don't know if I'd call it a feminist reaction or a very like personal reaction of, are you kidding me? Like we don't have these books for, are there books for women? Of course. But is that what we're reading in the schools? Not always. Is there some women? Sure. But there's, Definitely, the focus has always been men and predominantly white men. Yep. And so for, and even though Todd is going to explain himself after I say this, my my reaction to him saying we should have this for boys is, oh my gosh, like that's what else do you need? What else? You have every history book. Everything we've been taught is is men. So, so again, and he was like. You didn't say calm down because you would never say such a thing, but you said, now, wait a second. Yeah. Well, my point was, first of all, the structure of the book is really good because history book is long and boring. Mm -hmm. And yes, is it all about white men dominating the world in not such a healthy way all the time? Yes. But it's not fun to read. And this book, the structure and the artwork, it's just beautiful. So I'm like, this would be great for to give to a 12-year-old boy, just as easy, easy as it for a 12-year-old girl. And then it went, it kind of evolved into the next debate, the next discussion that you and I always have, which is, I think that these boys need it as much, if not more than the girls. And before everybody starts screaming and throwing eggs at me, the reason that is, is because I believe that unhealthy, or I'd like to call it toxic masculinity, is why you, when you turn on the news, that it is very um, sadly truthful and negative because men, boys grow into men and they don't know how to become men. They don't know how to make good decisions. They don't know how to empathize. They don't know how to forgive. They don't know how to become emotionally intelligent. They don't know any of these things. So we need this for the boys because we are the source of the problems. So that was my response. And I would say that we, you know, you, you, we, Todd and I go through this thing where he'll, he'll say, we need this more. And I you know, go back and say, we need this more. We need them both simultaneously instead of deciding who wins, right. because that's the very competitive, like, right. well, we need it more. You, you, what I would like to see in a men's, in a boy's history book is historical figures from all over the world, all different races, all different cultures, all different people where we could identify with people beyond what maybe boys are seeing every yeah. day, where they could identify with men who are different than them, who have you know, different experiences, and that these leaders in this book, none of them are going to be perfect, just like the women in the book. None of them are perfect people because if you think every leader is going to be perfect and they're never going to have, you know, make a error or make a poor choice, then you're not understanding yourself very well. Yeah. Because isn't that what we all do? Isn't yeah. that how we learn? Um, obviously not not a kind of mistake where they're harming people continuously. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a moment in time where they really had some kind of huge shift and transition. If we had a book for boys that had leaders in that way who were very um, focused on things like uh, – a more positive kind of leadership, yes. a caring kind of leadership. Yes. Um, can I tell you a story? Sure. This is this is actually interesting. I was listening to a podcast this morning. It was actually a repeat um, of an interview with a guy named um, Simon Sinek. I believe it's pronounced S-I-N-E-K. And I am thinking maybe next week or the week after that, we'll talk about his TED Talk in um, maybe more detail after I think Todd. I just saw this, but go ahead. Yeah, you, it's amazing. But he talks a lot about leadership. And one thing that he talks about historically is that in the times of Spartacus, you know, in the times of Sparta, that that era, there was a focus for the the men who were fighting 
there was more focus on keeping the shield safe mm-hmm. than keeping your sword safe. Mm, so the the focus was you know, but did you have your shield or make sure you keep, you know, if you're going to hold on to something, make it your shield. The reason for that was because with a shield, you can protect the person to the left and the right of you. With a sword, you can kill somebody, but with a shield, you can protect the others, Mm. the people who are alongside of you. That's the only way a community can survive is if we take care of the people to the left and the right of us. This has been something we've known forever. Like I just love the idea of your shield is the most valuable, Mm. not your killing weapon, not the competitive I win, you lose, but how you're helping others. And that those kind of leaders... I would like to see more books about. Well, and what's interesting is uh, when you, you and I had this discussion, it was, um, you know, I I felt what I felt, which is our boy, you know, boys turning into men, not understanding what it means to be a healthy masculine man. And you're like, for goodness sakes, can you just let us have one thing? Yes, please. And, and I'm not right and you're not right and I'm not wrong and you're not wrong. Like w- once... You know, because I initially I was like, "What's the big deal? Let's have one for boys." And then I'm like, "You need something of your own to claim as yours." Or does everything have to be? Well, you've got it, so we need it. Right. Instead of this in its standalone is very important yeah. in this time. Yeah. And you know what, Todd? I think boys should be reading this book about girls. girls. Absolutely. So when you're like, "We need a book for boys," why not this book? Yeah. Let's have the. You're right. That's exactly. And I didn't think about that until this very moment. Yeah. Like, like if you are listening to this and you have, because you know, as soon as we talked about rebel girls, healthy leadership, mm-hmm. every parent on this podcast who has a daughter is like, I got to get this for my daughter. Right? How many, and I, because I am guilty of this, how many of us, if I did have a son, which I don't, how many would be like, oh, I have to get that for my son? I'm willing to bet that very few parents did say that. Right. What we're doing to try to shift perspective is maybe you have three sons and maybe you get this book for all three of them. That's right. And or you get and you read these stories and say, I want you to be able to see the world through the lens of both of these experiences. Because the lens that we're taught from society is don't throw like a girl. I know. You know? I know. So this book is meant to balance out the mistaken messages that we receive as young men about what girls are all about. Because it's so unbalanced. I mean, you that's the thing is like our understanding of women, our understanding of what girls can do is completely sold to us mm-hmm. um, through TV and media and maybe and, – and, and when I say this, I'm not saying – because there's nothing wrong with a super feminine girl yeah. who like embraces all of those pieces of herself that are her. It's not about that we we need to have all these like balance it out. Yeah, it's it's about having, all we're getting is the sexualized version exactly. of what the female and the sexualized version is from a male's mind. Mm-hmm. Because for those of you who have read or excuse me have seen misrepresentation or you've understood you know what's happening in our media when it comes to the movies that are being released or the um, Um, advertising that's out there, it is like 89% men who are putting out these images. And what images are they putting out? They are putting out women's bodies because that's what's attractive to them. And while there is nothing inherently wrong with being attracted to a woman's body, when that's the only message that girls get, then they think they have to live up to some standard. Yeah, Phil, conform to what that message is. Instead of having a book like this where you say, yeah, this is a piece and there's nothing wrong with, you know, again, this is, we talked about uh, with Mike Domish about this when we talked about um, consent and there's nothing wrong with a woman woman owning her sexuality and having a sense of her own being and feeling like a sexual being. But there are other pieces of her. There are so, and there are other people who represent things in so many different ways It's having a broader perspective, and that's all I'm ever asking for. I've been in a lot of conversations with people lately, male and female, about feminism and about what equality means. And I I hear every argument that that people throw at me about, you know, why feminism is inherently a bad thing or why it's unnecessary or maybe even more like – and again, I know this is not what Todd means, but the points about, you know, well, boys need this too. And can you just hear – that right now in this place and time, that it isn't equal and and that 
there isn't a sense of wanting to overpower or take more or make men bad, but it's a sense of can there be a sense of equality? And I, I think about, um, and again, this is, I'm talking about women because that's my focus, but this is what every race, culture, um, anybody who has a, you know, LGBTQ, you know, sexual identity that not everybody is supportive of, why, it, it's that idea of when you've had privilege a really long time, equality feels like oppression, where you think, well, no, we can't, we can't support this because then what will happen? My belief system, what I believe deep down, and this is not a perfect thing, but when you allow people to be who they are and when you allow people to show up and give you their full selves and their gifts as a community and as a world, we thrive. We know that when girls are educated and when women work, that those communities thrive because we need – and that's not just here. That's on the other side of the world. And you can fill in girls with any minority, any, any social class. Exactly. Like, doesn't matter. And and it's and can we see that? Can we back up for a second instead of just focusing on, well, in my life this happened. Okay, that may be true and you may have had a negative experience and maybe you did see this differently or someone was unkind to you. You know, I hear so many stories from people. But can you back up and say, but the big picture, what do we want to be working toward? Good for the whole. What's good for the whole? Because that's, again, what's most important, our shield. You know what? Do you mind if I go into what I was going to talk about for 2017, because sure. I kind of already uh, taken a dive into it, is that I've had to really spend the last month or so thinking about what it is um, that's most important to me. Like, what is it? And I, and it's because of the circumstances of the world right now, but I think we should be doing this all the time. And sometimes we get not complacent, but we kind of just rest on other people will do things. Yeah. And, you know... And we can call that trust or we can also just – there's complacency in there. Yeah. You know, there's like a sense of, oh, other people. And I've realized that for me it's very simple and that is that we take care of each other and that we take care of the earth. I mean there's – Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Um, and, and again, that's going to look different in every situation and I know that. But that is what I have known since I was a kid. Like isn't that what we all know? We, we know we take care of each other. We take care of our earth. Mm -hmm. And what does take care of the earth mean? Um, it, you know, it, everything. Like from when we were little, it was about not littering to maybe not treating our earth poorly or our water system poorly or the things that we need, our oceans, um, our wildlife, our animals, nature. Um, and again, it's not going to be perfect because I understand that people have businesses and things that they need to survive. And there's no way to do this in a streamlined, yeah, linear clean, fashion. Yeah. Right. But when people say to me, there's no other way, there's no other way. Of course there is. Yeah. Our imaginations are limitless. All I know is that I was just with someone the other day who had a computer, a watch, Google, or a, on their wrist, they had a computer. Well, it's called an Apple Watch, right? Yes. And everything at their fingertips right there. That wasn't possible 10 years ago. That definitely wasn't possible when I was a kid. And that's just the that's just a metaphor for everything else. When people say this isn't possible, of course it is. But we have to be willing to be kind and and considerate and understanding of the people who are learning these things or experiencing these things for the first time and be open-minded to new possibilities. Yeah, I think what you're saying is the human spirit is both is creative and imaginative. And whenever anybody says anything is impossible, it's just a shortcut to thinking. It's, it's and, and it's fear. And it's fear of it. But like, you know, picture you're you're in nineteen sixty one and JFK said, We're gonna put a man on the moon. Like yeah. how we it sounded in the world, crazy. Yeah, that's like and we did that 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. If we can have in, you know, if we can have, you know, uh, an entire world looking at a device on our wrist. Yes. Don't tell me that we can't figure out a better way to take care of the environment. Right. And take care of each other. Yeah. When people say, well, this is just the way business runs. Things are just cutthroat. Yeah. You know, no. I know businesses that don't treat people that way. And yeah. I know it's it's interesting going back to this guy, this Simon Sinek, who talks about leadership. You know, you can get fast results. But in the long run, he was comparing, Todd, on uh, his talk, uh, Jack Welch, 
was that right? Yeah, Wall- from GE. Yeah, to uh, the guy from Costco. Oh yeah. And that everybody was, you know, everybody loved Jack Welch and held him up and totally. the books, and oh, everyone's like, it. he's the model. Well, GE isn't around. Well, they. They're they're not the mammoth that they used to they be. They used to be. Yeah. That's a better they're, way to say it. Around. I'm sorry. They're around. But what I mean is his management style is not nearly as widely accepted. Now everybody is looking at the management style of uh the CEO from Costco who actually um, retired a few years ago. I forget who the old one was. I'm trying to pull him up, but oh, James Senegal. That's but his name. Exactly. And that model of consistency and taking care of your people, not take it. And again, you have, again, go back to the self-awareness piece in the parenting. You have to take care of yourself mm-hmm. so you can take care of other people. It's not about sacrificing yourself and being like some martyr. And then you just, you know, it's about simultaneous. I take care of myself and I'm thoughtful and then that allows me to create a family within my business. Well, and James Senegal, and he's not the first one, but he's the one who made it work the best. Uh, everybody always said customers always first. Right. And he did not say that. He said, who's first is my employees are. Right. Because if I take care of my employees, they will take care of the customers. What a lot of business models, management style models say is customer comes first and screw the employees. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work. So mm-hmm. anyways. Well, and because everything, it, it comes, your employees are the people that are offering the business to the people that you're that trying is to sell your business. to. That the is people your are your business. And can and my question is can you do both? Yeah. Can you take care of your customers by taking care of your people? We're so black and white. We're like, you know, oh well if you take care of these people, then uh, like we get so it becomes language and semantics when what we're saying is let's let's be kind to everyone. And sometimes that it, it doesn't it's not perfect, but if that is our modus operandi, like that's our hope, that's our goal, that's what we're focused on, that's our mission. Begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. Then will we have failures? Yes. But will we at least be have that feeling of when we wake up every day wanting to do what we do yeah. and give and take and and will our employees, if for those of you who have businesses, small or big, will they want to come work for you? Not just because they're like, I hate this job, but it's a paycheck because then they're going to cut corners versus I have respect for this person. I honor this person. They have supported me. Yeah. Um, this is a home. This is a family. Yeah. And, and again, I just want to say, I'm getting off track a little bit. I wanted to say that that is really after a lot of deep after therapy and meditation and lots of soul searching and journaling and new vision boards, that's what it comes down to for me. You take care of each other and then you take care of the earth. And those are the things that I'm going to be very focused on in 2017. And sometimes that's going to look like a march. Um, There's a lot of marches coming up. And I want to say that I'm not against anyone and I'm not against anything, but I am for many things. I am for human rights I am for women's rights. I am for taking care of people. I am for leaving our children and our grandchildren with a place they can be safely. I'm for integrity. So what I'm trying to say is for those of you who are trying to figure out, you know, what is 2017 going to mean to me, I encourage you to figure out what matters the most to you and then be for those things. Instead of going into this year and saying, I'm against, I'm against, I'm against, I'm against, what are you for? And then speak up in whatever way that means to you, in your home, at work, in your community, in the world, um, with yourself, you know, being honest with yourself about what feels right, what doesn't. And that's that's how we do this. And And with being for something, it means you're for everybody. Then we aren't divided because divided divided is not helpful. And that is not, to me, the shield metaphor, because I'm for the person to the left and the right of me. Do you see what I mean? I do. I'm for everybody. And not because I'm martyring out, but because nothing else makes sense. Yeah. So I encourage you to to practice these things, whatever means the most to you, at a micro level, and allow that to grow. 
that's that's what I wanted to say for 2017. Very good, sweetie. Thank, Thank you, you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Um, so last but not least is our third partner, Jeremy Kraft from Avid Company, uh, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. It's avidco.net, 630-956-1800 is his uh, phone number. Jeremy Kraft, he is a bald-headed beauty. He is. So with that, um, because I'm using a different computer today, I don't have my sound effects, so I'm going to close with this song, sweetie. Um, Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, and I encourage you to head into 2017 trusting in your goodness. Trust in the goodness of all. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This helps people find us. You can also just tell a friend about our show. That's our favorite kind of marketing. Todd and I do speaking engagements about Zen parenting and self-awareness, so if you have an interested group or organization, contact us at comments at zenparentingradio.com. And get your early bird tickets for our big Let's Get Real Zen Parenting Conference February 24th and 25th at the Westin in Lombard. Todd and I will be speaking Friday night, and we have Rob Bell, Rosalind Wiseman, and Ali Smith as our keynotes on Saturday. If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's award-winning books at zenparentingradio.com or Amazon. If you're a guy, I have two resources for you. I coach guys. It's called Coaching for Guys. <laughs> On the phone, Skype, or in person, we set goals together and come up with a plan to meet those goals. The website is toddadamscoaching.com. And we also have a monthly men's group. So if you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with, check out the tribemensgroup.com. If you ever shop on Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. If you want an amazing vehicle to teach your kids about money management, go to the lower right-hand side of our homepage and click on the FAMZOO logo and enter Zen Finance as a promo code. I want to give a special thanks to our three partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, John J. Kelly Dentistry, and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support. Keep on trucking.